Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. The Apostle Paul was probably the most influential character in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ. And as we come to this letter, I want you to know this, that the one who's writing this letter did not always live by the words that were found in this letter. He was once named Saul, and he was on his way to Damascus to kill and butcher people who call themselves Christians. And on his way, we read in the book of Acts how God miraculously changed his life. A Damascus Road experience. Once a man by the name of Saul who could be summarized as the persecutor of the church. And one day was transformed by the Holy Spirit of God and became Paul, the great ambassador for the church. He had such a desire to go to the church of Rome, but he never was able to go. He heard about the obedience the church at Rome had to the word of God and of their faith in God. And he writes this letter not to correct any problems in the church, but to encourage them in their faith and obedience and to expound some of the great doctrines of the faith. And as we read the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters is about doctrinal instruction. And then chapters 12 through 16 is about practical application. And in these first 11 chapters, we read a theological thesis or dissertation written by Paul through the lens of the Holy Spirit of God. In chapter 1, we read that key verse. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then he goes on to quote the Old Testament and says, The just shall live by faith. In fact, if we, when you study the first chapter of Romans, you find we see the doctrine of creation and how Paul believed that God created this universe. He said the invisible things of him are clearly seen from the creation of the world. In chapter 2, we read about how God is our judge. In chapter 3, we read about the fallenness, the sinfulness of man. Some theologians have labeled it as the depravity of man. How man is complete. And nothing more and nothing less of wretched sinners in need of a Savior. In chapter 4 and 5, we read about the great justification by faith that we have in Him. And he alludes back to the Old Testament character named Abraham. In chapter 6, we read <coughs> about, about more of that justification in faith. And we read about the great gift of God through Jesus. In chapter 7, we read, aren't you glad chapter 7 is in Romans? Paul's writing and he says, The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that I do. 
Paul was human just like you and me and struggled in the flesh. But by the power of the Spirit of God, living in obedience to the Word of God, we can overcome the temptations of this world. In chapter 8, we read about the, the, the great doctrine of condemnation. How as a child of God, we have no need to fear the judgment of God in eternity. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 9, Paul makes a, a transition. And he transitions from a lot of these doctrines uh, about in chapter 8 about uh, the foreknowledge, how God in eternity past knew about us and the predestination and the glorification and the justification. He, he writes about all that in chapter 8. Then he transitions to what's called Israel. And in chapter 9, we read about how, how, how God's past dealings with Israel and he alludes back to the Old Testament and mentions several characters. In chapter 10, we read about the present state of Israel. And may I say this? It doesn't matter whether you have Jewish blood in your veins or you're as pure of a Gentile as a Gentile can be. Salvation is open to every man or woman who calls out to him by faith. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in chapter 10, we read about Paul's desire in his heart is that his people, Israel, would come to know Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And then in Romans chapter 11... A lot of people do not like the 11th chapter of Romans because in the 11th chapter of Romans, we read about God's future plan for Israel. How God is not done with Israel. God has set Israel aside right now and now we're reaping the benefits of the blessings of Abraham as a New Testament saint, but God has a future plan for Israel. And at the very end of the 11th chapter, we read a doxology from Paul. And in fact, today, I want to label my thoughts with this phrase. My doxology for 2020. My doxology for 2020. Here's what I wrote down as a key statement. So to summarize everything I'm about to share with you is this. The greater our understanding of who God is, the greater our praise of Him will be. The greater our understanding of who God is, then the greater our praise of Him will be. You see, when we read and study Romans chapter 1 through 11, we read about all this doctrine, all this information, and how these doctrines can revolutionize and change you in your life. And then we read about this man who experienced that life transformation, and all he does is he lifts up his hands and his heart to God in adoration and praise in verses 33 through 36. Today, I want to share with you why I believe we should praise God in 2020. I know this is a new decade. I know that maybe the last decade maybe wasn't our greatest. But this new decade, this new year, I believe it should be done in adoration and worship to Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to share with you five reasons today of why I am going to praise God in 2020. I wrote down, first of all, as I read verse 33, <coughs> I will praise God for His words of inspiration. We talk about this a lot around here, but let me share it again. I will praise God for His words of inspiration. Many theologians of the past have labeled Romans as their favorite book and favorite letter. Maybe it's your favorite letter. It's awesome. It is packed, filled with a lot of great doctrine. But in verse 33, look at it with me. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and 
and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Today, I want to share with you a thought right here. The word depth. This gives the idea of great profundity. Great mystery. Diving down deep. You know, the deeper you go into the Word of God, I like to say it like this, the more you dig into the Word, the more you'll discover about the Word. And I'm here to tell you something. Paul knew the Word. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was schooled in the field of study of the Old Testament. He knew the law. But here in this section of Scripture, in this first verse, he lifts up his hands to God in praise for the very words of Scripture. I'm here to tell you something. The book that you're holding right there in your hands, or maybe you got on your phone or your tablet or whatever, that book right there is not like any other book that's ever been written because it is the inspired text from the mouth of God. Yes, we know Paul was a human that, that wrote this letter, but we know greater than that, the author is the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, is revealing to us today that He wants our lives to be completely consumed in praising and worshiping Jesus Christ. And first of all, for His Word. The first part of verse 33, I wrote on this, God's wisdom is incomprehensible. Imagine if God took the IQ test. Or imagine if God took the SATs or the ACTs or all these other tests to, de to determine how smart or how ignorant we are. <laughs> you see, God's wisdom. I, I, I like what one preacher said. He said, God has more wisdom in his pinky than everybody who's ever lived in the history of humanity. God is a wise God. He's never learned anything, and He's never forgotten anything. He is always known, and always is knowing, and always will know. We can't understand how wise, and how intelligent, and how smart God is. And here the Bible says, that Paul says, oh, the depth. You can go to the bottom of the oceans, you can go to the top of the mountains, and we will never discover the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The verse goes on to say, how unsearchable are his judgments. The word judgments gives the idea of his decrees. In other words, it's a synonym for his word. God has decreed a lot of decrees in his word. But I wrote on this, God's word is unsearchable. Not only is his wisdom incomprehensible, but God's word is unsearchable. In another portion of the New Testament, we read about the unsearchable riches found in Jesus Christ. And, and let me share this with you. You could study the Bible for 50 years of your life and still never fully understand or comprehend what's going on in the text. But the Bible is so simple that a little child can understand the overarching theme of the Word of God. And that is that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the theme of the word of God. And his plan reveals it throughout the Old and New Testament. You could go off to Bible college. You could go off to the university. You could go off to seminary. You could, you could pursue all that level of education. And I'm here to tell you something. The more I study the word of God, the more I realize how little I know about the word of God. 
The more I open up a letter like the, the epistle to the Romans, the more I observe that I need more of God and, and I want more of God in me. And the way I get that is through His Word. That's why it's so important that we have a daily devotional time with God. We read the Bible, not for information, but that so God can transform us from the inside out. Instead of, of putting all the TV shows and all the movies and all the music into our minds, I believe that we should be focusing on the Word of God being put into our mind because what we put into our mind is eventually going to influence the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think. God's Word is unsearchable. So dig deeper this year into the Word of God. Go a little bit further and discover the great truths of Scripture. I also wrote on this. Not only is God's wisdom incomprehensible and God's word unsearchable, but, but, but look at the last part. It says, in his ways past finding out. I wrote on this. God's ways are unfathomable. God's ways are unfathomable. Here in this verse. You know, it's interesting. I heard a preacher recently illustrate it like this. That we could have a business meeting of business meetings. And we could go back into eternity. And we could try to concoct a plan for God's redemption story. And we would never, in a million or billion or trillion years, come up with the, the, the great, amazing plan of redemption that God has established. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin live a complete, perfect life in thought, in word, and in deed, and go to the old rugged cross and pay for the penalty of sin once and for all, and be placed in a borrowed tomb who he deserved, the most royal of tombs in the world, but he didn't even have his own tomb. And then he rose victoriously from the grave. He ascended up to glory, and he's coming back again, church. And today we could not, we could not write a greater story or redemption plan. God's ways are higher than our ways. In fact, here in these first couple verses of our passage, we, I believe that Paul has in mind the prophet Isaiah. And perhaps he's going through his mind about that verse in Isaiah 55 that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. And then he goes on to say that, that when God's word is sown, it will not return void. I know you might be thinking that the times you shared the gospel with somebody, the times you shared the word of God with somebody, that it was in vain. May I say this? You can never sow God's word in vain. You know, we've all been there. How many times have we invited somebody to church and they said, oh, I'll be there this Sunday. Well, this Sunday is still coming around. Sunday is still yet to come in their life. How many times have we shared the good news with somebody and they said, I'll get saved tomorrow. And tomorrow has not come for them. I want you to know this, that you cannot sow God's word in vain. And God is calling us to plant seeds and then calling some of us to come and water those seeds. And it is God who gives the increase. God's ways are unfathomable. His word is unsearchable and his wisdom is incomprehensible. That's why I will praise God for his words of inspiration. Let's move forward. Look at verse 34. As I read this verse, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? I wrote on the second reason why I'm going to praise God in 2020. I will praise God for his advising instruction. 
I will praise God for his advising instruction. I am not minimizing professional counseling today. Don't misunderstand. I'm not minimizing psychiatrists or psychologists. Do not misunderstand the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But I believe the greatest counselor, the greatest advisor that we could ever have is Jesus. And in his word. And I am just, maybe, maybe I'm just a, a country boy from Boonsville, Virginia enough just to, to believe that, that the problems that we face in our life can be solved through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here I believe that Paul is, is thinking in his mind back into the Old Testament to Isaiah. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read that verse during Christmas time where it says, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a Savior is given. And we read about how it says, The wonderful, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, but also it says, Counselor. He is our Counselor, church. He can counsel us when we don't know which direction to go in our life. He can counsel us in our relationships in this life. He can counsel us for our future. He can give us wisdom and, and advising that no other human being could ever give. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 is exactly what is in the mind of Paul right now as he's quoting that passage. Remember Isaiah, was a, he was a prophet of God. He was a prophet who, who was advancing the word of God just like Paul was in his day. But in, in Isaiah's day, they did not want to hear his message. I know we live in 2020. <laughs> I know we live in a, a, a post-Jesus era. You know, Jesus is something of the past. And why do we need something that helped my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother? We have everything we need today. No, we don't. Because what we need the most is Jesus. Isaiah knew it. Paul knew it. The prophets of God knew it. And I want you to know this. That when it comes to your career, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, when it comes to anything, seek the instructions of God. I like what somebody once said. The Bible is simply the basic instructions before leaving earth. I will praise God for his advising instruction, for his words of inspiration. But may I share with you thirdly, as we look at verse 35? I wrote on this. I will praise God for his delivering salvation. I will praise God for his delivering salvation. Do you remember the day that God saved you? Remember the day that you instantly became born again? I know you didn't understand all that was going on, but the Holy Spirit came and indwelled you and changed you and is presently continuing to conform you more to the image of Jesus Christ. You remember that day? Man, what a glorious day that was. We could talk all day about how God changed our life. But I want you to know this, that as I read this verse, I think about the day that Paul's life was changed. And, and I believe that, I, I agree with, with the commentators that verse 35, Paul in his mind, he's thinking about Job and he's quoting the book of Job in Job chapter 35 and in the, the book of Job chapter 41. But did you know in Job chapter 38 is the longest recorded time in history that God speaks his word. And in that scene, I guess Job thought he knew a little bit more than what he thought he did. And God looks at him and says, hey, hey, Job, uh, um, where were you when the foundation of this world was created? Were you there when the angels of God sang for joy when I was creating this world? In the 41st chapter of Job, we read about Levi Leviathan. 
And he says, in other words, he says, can you catch this big creature that I have created? Can you control this big, as some commentators said, dinosaur-like creature? No. Job, for about three or four chapters, listens to the rhetorical questions of God without a response. Job went through a great trial. He did. He lost everything. And God bless his soul, his wife said to curse God and die. But at the end of the book, we read about how God gave him more than what he had at the beginning. And God delivered him of his trial. And today, I want you to know this. That we are recipients of God's deliverance, not God's vengeance. You see, the Bible does talk about God's vengeance and his judgment. And he is the one who is the judge, and he is going to recompense, as the Bible says here in this verse. Look at verse 35. It says, Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. There was a day, just like God delivered Job from his trial, God delivered us from the eternal trial of hell. And I am so thankful today that the sovereign God of this universe gave me and has given you eternal life and has wiped our slate clean, forgiven us of all of our past, present, and future sins, and now we have the blessing of heaven as our eternal home. I will praise God for His delivering salvation, for His advising instruction, for His words of inspiration. But let me share with you the forethought today from the first part of verse 39, or verse 36, excuse me. I wrote on this. I will praise God for his sovereign jurisdiction. I will praise God for his sovereign jurisdiction. Look at verse 36. It says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. Let me read that again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Looking back, to the very first verse of this, chap of this book, we read about, it says, Paul, an apostle. How God called Paul to be an apostle, to advance and be an ambassador on behalf of the gospel. And then we read about all the things that were discussed. How, how Paul understood that it was the sovereign plan and the sovereign hand in his life that transformed him and saved him. And now it's the sovereign hand of God in his life that he's writing this letter. And listen, Paul was a visionary. Paul wrote the majority, we believe, of the New Testament letters. And it's interesting. The greatest people in history recorded their words in writing form. And we read that right here in the Bible. I believe because Paul was obedient to the Spirit of God... Every time we open up this book right here and we read the book of Romans, we read the book of Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians or, or, or the others, and God ministered our soul, it's going on the account of the Apostle Paul. God is sovereign. He's in control of your life. He's in control of my life. 
and in control of everything that's going on in the world. I know that you might think that what's going on in the state of Virginia and the United States of America is, is a lost cause. But I want you to know this. We serve the sovereign God of the universe who other countries in the past have seen the lost cause and God resurrect them and God move and God can send revival to our day just like he's done in the past. I'm praying and maybe we should pray together that God would send another great awakening to the United States of America. That God would raise up men uh, like George Whitfield and women like Fanny Crosby to influence our culture in today's generation. Maybe God wants to use you. Maybe God wants to use me right here in Roanoke. And I say, let him use us. Let him take the members of our bodies, the members of our congregation, and advance his word. You see, God is sovereign. It's not an accident that you're sitting here today. It's not an accident that I'm standing here today. You see, I do not believe in coincidences. I believe in what's called divine providences. How God is providentially working out everything. It's not an accident that you have the children that you have. It's not an accident that you have the grandchildren that you have. It's not an accident that you have, believe it or not, the brothers and sisters that you have. <laughs> and it's not an accident that God blessed me with none of them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God is sovereign and how he led you to go to that university because he knew at that university you would meet your husband or your wife. God is sovereign in the fact that he's given you a job right here in Roanoke, Virginia of all places. Let's praise him for his sovereign hand. Let's praise him for his delivering hand, for his advising hand and his word. May I share with you from the last part of this verse, probably the most intriguing part. It says, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The fifth and final reason today is this. I will praise God with a heart of adoration. I will praise God with a heart of adoration. The craft of preaching is a unique craft. It's kind of like music. It takes time. You have to do it on a consistent basis to get better at it. But I want you to know this, that while I think it's important that we develop the crafts that God has given us to our best ability, we understand this, that God deserves the praise, honor, and glory for the gifts and talents he's given all of us in our lives. And in this last section of, of the first section, overarching section of Romans, Paul says, after he elaborates on the riches and the word of God and, 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 and on his counseling direction and, and his delivering hand and how he is sovereign, he says, this sovereign Delivering, advising, inspiring God deserves all glory, deserves all honor, and deserves all praise. I do not deserve praise. <laughs> Did you know there's nothing in me that deserves any type of praise? And before you get a big hit, and the same goes for you. <laughs> None of us deserve glory, only God. You know, we sang that song today. 
what we call the doxology. And honestly, each week, the church I grew up in, every week, when we had the offering, we, we stood and we sang that song. And each week, all across the globe, thousands of congregations lift up their voices and they sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In countless languages, this article says, This doxology is treasured. Yet very few know the story behind these words that were first published in 1709 by an Anglican bishop named Thomas Ken. Thomas was an orphan in childhood. He was raised by his older sister and her husband. In 1651, Thomas Ken became a scholar of Winchester College, and in 1661, he received a Bachelor of Arts from New College, Oxford. Such Presbyterian schooling during times of political and religious turbulence only deepened his love for the Anglican heritage of his youth. In adulthood, Ken held various church and academic positions. He even served as a chaplain to Princess Mary until he stood firm, firmly against, in George Crawford's words, a case of immorality at the court. Later, he became chaplain to Charles II, but he would not let his house be used to lodge the royal mistress. This time, instead of being dismissed, Ken was rewarded for his courage with a bishopric. Until becoming Bishop of Bath and Wells in 1684, Ken spent most of his life intertwined with Winchester, both college and cathedral. There, the small statured man, through preaching and music, sought to uplift the spiritual lives of his students. In 1674, he published a manual of prayers for the use of the scholars of Winchester for students. He charged the readers to be sure to sing the morning and evening hymn in your chamber devoutly. These hymns were eventually or evidently already in private circulation. In the 1695 edition, the words to these hymns and Midnight Hymn, by the way, where we get our doxology, were published as an appendix. The doxology we sing today was the last stanza of 14 stanzas. Praise God. Church, I say all that to say this, that for over 300 years, we've been singing that song that we sang today. And why stop now? 2020, our doxology is found right here in Scripture. I read it one last time. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been His counselor, or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen.
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.